The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. And this is the Anton Savage Show, and that's Jonathan Healy, and he is joined by Joe Shea because we are going to look through the stories making the papers this weekend. Jo- Jonathan Healy, of course, Healy Communications and of this parish, and Joe Shea, editor of Cork Bio. And where we start is with the news from. Uh, the Middle East because the conflict has increased overnight in uh, Gaza um, I say conflict it is, it's is—it's difficult to find the right term to describe something that currently is so one-sided because Israeli bombardments have increased during the night and Joe the latest news is that on top of the bombardments increasing effectively Gaza has now been plunged into communications darkness there is no um, there is precious little contact with the outside world Yeah I was watching CNN uh, this morning and they were talking they had a guy reporting live from sort of the outskirts looking into Gaza like a lot of these you know main news channels are and he was saying that the the only way he was getting news was he had a contact inside Gaza who had an American SIM card that was picking up pinging off an Israeli tower and he was the only person that he could actually reach within Gaza so what is happening in Gaza at the moment is happening in the dark. We don't know. Also, you had the Israelis yesterday, uh, you know, warning in, in, the, you know, in quotation marks, the main news agencies that they, they can't protect reporters who are inside Gaza. You know, and if you, if, if you were a cynical person, you'd say that's not, we can't protect you, it's that we won't protect you. And that's a warning again, cleared out of the way. So what... They've said it to the UN. UN staff have actually died inside Gaza. It's happening in the dark. And that's what, it, this situation is grim. It's terrible, but it's also happening in the dark and we don't really know what's going on there. You mentioned the UN. That's the other piece of news that has emerged. That there was a UN vote in re- calling for a humanitarian ceasefire mm. in, in uh, again, effectively in, on behalf of the Israelis. Um, overwhelmingly supported. I think the Americans and about four others were the only ones who voted against John. Yeah, it, 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 there is it's growing international pressure coming on Israel. Just, just, just pause. Just stop the intensity of this. Um, they have no intention of doing that. Um, I mean, what they want is they want to destroy Hamas. They've said that quite clearly. They want to destroy the tunnels. Um, now, if you're to destroy the tunnels, that means you have to level pretty much everything that's on top of those tunnels. And as a result of that, there is an inevitability that you will have civilian casualties. Um, this is not the ground offensive. Uh, they're saying the ground offensive is coming. It is going to happen. But this is not it. So what we saw overnight was attacks from the air and particularly from the sea. Um, So when they go in, this is only going to get worse. Um, And while there's even disputes at EU level, you know, countries like Germany uh, very much siding with Israel, countries like Ireland not necessarily siding with Palestine. But, I mean, when we say we're siding here, Anton, we're looking to stop this. We're looking to pause so that we can have some measure of humanitarian aid assistance that goes in there. It really is very, very sad and I think that people watching this are just, you know, frustrated. They, they, they cannot in any meaningful way um, come up with a solution. And that, that's what's most frustrating about this, because we look on and our government can't do anything. The United Nations can't do anything. America, the, the world's policemen, they can't do anything either. This is just going to continue to play out with a tragic loss of life. Going back to the um, Gaza being plunged into communication in darkness, Joe, do we know at this stage whether or not that was a deliberate decision by the Israelis to cut Gaza off from communications or is is motive and cause as yet unknown? Well, I mean, you know, who, who knows, but I mean, they've cut off everything. Thing going into Gaza, power, water—you know—it's 
It's, if you look at the history of, 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 his, of conflict in the region, there is a kind of a, 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 a thing that the Israelis have done and to, to great effect, which is when in the Six-Day War and in other wars and when they went into Jerusalem, they, they push as far as they can and as fast as they can before the international community, meaning i.e., the US finally say, okay, you've got to stop, you've got to stop. In, in certain wars, they've literally had a deadline where they say, we've got to get as far, we've only got 48 hours left. We've got to push as far into the Sinai as we can get. We've got to push as far, we've got to take Jerusalem. When they took Jerusalem that time, the, the uh, paratroopers were radio, radioing t- to their commanders and saying, will we go for it? Will we go for it? We can see the gate. Will we go for it? And they were like, well, the, the Americans say we have to stop by midnight. So, you know, if you can get there before midnight, go for it. And that's what's being done before. And you get the sense that the Israelis now are going, right, we have this opportunity to do what we have wanted to do for some time, even though the argument has been made, and Baroness Warsi was on the BBC making the point uh, on Question Time during the week, that Hamas is almost, in some respects, a creature of, of Netanyahu and that he supported their rise in, as a counterweight to, to Fatah. So is there a sense now that the Americans are eventually going to say you have to stop the whole world is watching, even though you're doing. And it do you think? Dark. I mean, again, I, I don't ask this by by suggestion that it is justified. But do you think, to some extent, the Israeli view might be: Look, we have gone through the worst terror attack in our history. We've gone through one of the worst terror attacks in world history. And within days, we have become a pariah among the international community. We are totally isolated and unfairly isolated. Therefore, we just have to do this and get our teeth together. If you're looking from the Israeli point of view, certainly you're going to think that. And you're going to think we have the right to defend us. And we have to remember as well, there's still 200 hostages inside Mm. Gaza. If the hostages were released unconditionally and immediately, which they absolutely should be, then that might change the picture dramatically or at least give the Israelis but don't forget, room, all, all politics is local at the yeah, end of the day. Yeah. Netanyahu knows that he is ultimately going to be blamed for mm. what happened when Hamas attacked. Even though it were the actions of Hamas, it was everything that led up to that. It was him not being prepared, him not having the army ready. So he has to be seen as a strong leader in his own mind as well. He's not a particularly, uh, I don't know, he's not uh, prone to uh, any leeway whatsoever. So I think that uh, ultimately this is going to be determined by him trying to protect himself but again, and his if, government. If, if, Stay on that, Jonathan. If you come from it from the Israeli perspective, then let's imagine Israel gets a sudden Damascene conversion and decides, well, we listen to the UN and we'll call a humanitarian ceasefire. If they do that, what do they then do in respect of Hamas? I mean, how do they ever get back into dealing with well, Hamas? I'm presuming they have a line in the sand that they have not reached yet. I mean, they, they say it is the destruction of Hamas. I mean, that is the destruction of Gaza. Let's face it, the, the Hamas is so ingrained in Gaza that you have to destroy uh, the entire thing. Uh, for it to succeed. So, I mean, uh, we always have to be at pains to make the difference differentiation between the Israeli people and the Israeli government. And if you look at what has been happening there with Netanyahu, what he was trying to do uh, to their Supreme Court uh, to override many of their democratic uh, principles and the uprising that was there, yes, everybody in Israel wants to defend the country right now, but that doesn't mean they support Netanyahu and, and everything that he does either. One assumes that this is not going to be, I mean, even going to what you said, Jonathan, or Joe rather, about the thing of the the uh, Yanks ultimately, the Americans ultimately setting a deadline at which point their patience runs out. That's unlikely to be soon, is it? No, it's, it's not. And what's fascinating to me as well about, when we're talking about how the media coverage covers stuff here as well this morning, what's fascinating to me is that the, 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 the BBC, the newspapers, are behind everything, are trying to run to catch up all the time. And people, many people, 
expect the BBC. They don't understand. A lot of people now these days get their, their, their news through social media and they don't, they're not very news literate, you might say, right? And, and that might sound like a sweeping criticism. What I mean is a lot of people expect the BBC to have an opinion and they expect CNN to have an opinion and everybody has to have an opinion because I have an opinion and you have an opinion and I, and I shout my opinion online and you shout your opinion online and everybody's shouting and getting angry and people are genuinely furious with the BBC for instance for not calling it a, instead of calling it the Israeli Hamas uh, war instead, you know, they, they should be calling it the genocide the BBC can't call it the genocide that's not their job what's fascinating to me is that it's showing how social, how future wars and conflicts will be reported, and they will be reported online in little bite-sized uh, videos on Twitter or whatever it is uh, of CNN guys saying this, and then everybody arguing about it. We saw it with the hospital, and the Israelis did it. No, Hamas did it. No, the Israelis did it, and we still don't know. But there are the whole world is convinced that they're right. If you are sympathetic to the Palestinians, the Israelis did it. If you're sympathetic to the Israelis, Hamas did it. It's it's. It's fascinating and it's scary and it's grim. Well, on that topic of the way modern media has gone and the, the pressure on all media to, to take positions rather than given double-sourced analysis and insight, it, news arrived overnight that a man that we thought we, we had put into our dusty past <laughs> is making his uh, public comeback, this time as a broadcaster. Have a listen to this. Hi, folks. Boris Johnson here. I'm excited to say that I'm shortly going to be joining you on GB News, and I'm going to be giving this remarkable new TV channel my unvarnished views on everything from Russia, China, the war in Ukraine, how we meet all those challenges, to the huge opportunities that lie ahead for us, why I think our best days are yet to come, and why, on the whole, the people of the world want to see more global Britain, not less. So, Join me on GB News for some great British television. So there you go, Jonathan. Finally, <laughs> he finds himself unencumbered and able to give his views Wonderfully, without both the of circumspection us, for which he has been famous. Yes, both of us just went, oh, God. Well, at a certain point, <laughs> he was speaking there. I mean, if there was ever a man, Anton, who was going to be caught in a hot mic at 20 past nine of a Saturday morning, it is indeed Boris Johnson. Uh, and it's, I mean, God help his producer. Imagine trying to herd that bag of cats into some coherence uh, when he's going on the telly. Uh, is he going to be presenting a show? Is he going to be there as a contributor? I mean, none of us know. And Quite frankly, none of us care. Do, do you know one of the things that really struck me about this? The launch, the unveiling of Boris. He didn't go into the studio. He said, they probably said, okay, Boris, we're going to pay you a shed load of money. Come into the studio and do it. No, I'll tell you what, I'll do it on my own phone in a hotel room <laughs> looking hungover <laughs> and probably wearing my underpants and a shirt I just threw on at one o'clock in the afternoon. That's the level of unprepa- uh, of how I much know, that, Boris that, that's does what they not want, care. Joe. That is literally yeah. what they're hoping to produce on GB News uh, so that they can get content. He, he'll, do this, he'll do this for four months months, they'll pay him a shed load of money and then he'll just disappear or he'll go off to something else and they'll ask for the rest of the contract or he'll still ask. He, he just wants to get paid. Boris is, you know, mm, he's, he's a certain type of person and he's not, he's, he's yeah, Joe, he's a con man. He's box office. 
Yeah, he's box he's box office for a dwindling ma- a dwindling oh. audience. G- listen, GBB's it's it has it has established <laughs> G- GBB's, yeah, GBB's TV has established itself. GBB's news has got an audience, and Rupert Murdoch tried to buy it twice, by the way, huh. and and he's trying to buy it again, even though he is you know retired. Um, so Boris, he'll find an audience, but is that that audience is dwindling and dwindling? Look at Brexit. Look at the regret that the that the the British public have about Brexit. Who's still buying this Boris? See, I don't know, Jonathan. I, look, take Brexit as a case in point. I remember very wisely and thoughtfully back in 2015 predicting that uh, Donald Trump was going to be a complete flash in the pan and the whole thing was daft. And of course, he had no electoral success. And yeah. it's now nigh on a decade later and he's doing just fine. Thank you very much, despite being in the middle of four lawsuits. The same thing. We keep predicting the death of this style of politics and this type of person. And he keeps getting ratings and keeps getting paid. I mean, it's, the fact is coming out on Halloween. Uh, the irony is not lost on us uh, that this is the zombie that just won't die. Um, look, I, I mean, you're right, Anton. Uh, like we have written off. Trump, we have written off Morris, we've written off Farage how many times at this stage and they just keep coming back and that just means that in the modern era, similar to what Joe was talking about earlier, you can find and justify whatever opinion you have in tiny little 20 second bits online that you can repeat and repost and send to your auntie to prove that you're right and every time that you find somebody who is an outlier, who, who agrees with you you can put it up there. So Boris is going to keep justifying Brexit in the minds of those who still think that global Britain is a thing. I mean, frank opinions on world affairs is what he's promising. I can't wait to see the back of the fag packet that he scribbled down his notes on before he goes on air. Now, you see, I think we have a completely rose-tinted view of what the past was like. And we sort of look back and think, well, there was a time when political discourse was a a real and genuine thing. If you go back to, Joe, um, Ed Murrow, you know, good night and good luck to George Clooney. Nobody watched his news show. Almost nobody watched it. It didn't raid at all. Meanwhile, he had a version of a thing that was effectively MTV Cribs. He went into the houses of celebrities and looked at their stories. That one raided like mad. Even back in the heyday of broadcasting, what we wanted was a bit of L sensationalism and crack. Nobody cares about actual analysis. No, I mean, the the circus, when it comes to town, will always, you know, people will always go along to see the clowns. Uh, But what I'm saying is, and I was in the UK and I voted in Brexit. (laughs) I voted Remain. I was living in London. I got a vote. Yeah, I got a vote. I was oh, really yeah. thinking you were going to... I was, going to say no, 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 no. I was there, and I remember, and I was shocked as well. But it's like, and I know we're going to be talking about this in a while. You, the, uh, somebody remarked to me once that if you're talking about gun violence in the, in, in the to Americans, or Brexit, or, or, or that kind of thing, to the, you'll never understand it. You'll never understand it unless you're American or unless you're British. But I think Boris... Is he's a busted flush at this stage. He has a certain, there is a certain residual audience for him. But you're seeing if he's sitting in a, ho- in a, a holiday inn in his underpants recording on his phone, I'm going to be the new face of GBB News, then you're thinking, OK, Boris, maybe the glory days are gone. I mean, the Telegraph is still paid. The Telegraph paid him, what, a million a year for that column? And he's writing about baked beans and like all the stuff well, like on, you know. On. Look at the positives. They're going to save an absolute fortune on the hairdressing bill. I yeah. mean they're not going to have to do a single thing to the Makeup, man's head. Yeah. yeah. I mean he's just going to go out as he is. I don't know. I think, do you remember Dolly Parton's great line that it, it takes a lot of money to look this cheap. Yeah. I suspect it takes a lot of effort to look yeah. the way Boris looks. You do bring up an important point though Joe, all joking aside, which is that thing of gun violence because it, that of course is now, it should be front and centre in mm. the debate in America. It probably isn't. It's probably more uh, front and centre outside of America. The main shooter yeah. 
The man almost certainly was the main shooter. 18 people dead, 13 injured, three of them still in critical condition in hospital. He has been found dead of what uh, authorities say is a self-inflicted gunshot wound. And it raises again that question of how do we have a situation where people are able to buy multiple round magazine military assault rifles so that they can do action man cosplay? Yeah, the um, CNN's reporting this morning that he had a psychotic episode. This guy Card yeah, had a psych. He's an army reservist trained with weapons. He had a psychotic episode a while ago. His family, he was hospitalised with that. His family warned his uh, VA, which is the Veterans Association, they warned uh, local police that he had been talking about killing people. After that, he was he went and bought a sniper rifle and um, ammunition. And he did nothing illegal until the minute he opened fire. Right up to the minute he opened fire, he did nothing illegal. He did nothing illegal by walking around with a fully loaded assault rifle even though he has had severe mental health issues, which were well recorded. You know, uh, there was a comment made after Sandy Hook, after those children were, were killed. And, and, so, and famously, somebody said, I think one of the American journalists said, once we decided it was okay, the massacre of children was OK, then that was game over. The guns have won. You know, we had a Democratic congressman from Maine who this week uh, said uh, he, was a, he's a, he was a staunch supporter of guns rights. Maine's, Maine is a hunting, shooting, fishing type part of the world. And he came out and he said, I'm, I'm actually, I, I apologise, I got it wrong. You know, uh, I should never, and he's a Democrat, by the way, I should never have supported, you know, laws or have uh, gone against laws regulating assault rifles. But that's only because it happened in his town. It, you know, we will never understand why the, Americans, why the American public put up with this, or at least like 70% of them back stricter gun laws, but they can't force their politicians to take that action. We'll never understand it here. And I don't think there's any... You're kind of wasting effort trying to understand this. But it's the most extraordinary thing, Jonathan, that this element of American exceptionalism, where when you look at... If you set aside any opinion and you just look at the stats and you look at the level of gun violence and the level of gun availability in the US compared to um, comparable wealthy developed nations. It's just, I mean, it's out of step by a factor of about three or four compared to the nearest nation. Yet, no matter how many times, as Joe points out, this happens, nothing changes. It's a paralysis and and, and we just cannot get our heads around it uh, because the most obvious thing to do, and it happened after Dunblane, it happened in New Zealand, it happened in Australia in the 1980s, is when something like this happens, you just restrict access to the weapon that causes the damage. And as a result, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, we don't really have these mass shootings. This will be the big thing until the next one. Uh, and this was a particularly bad one because, you know, they produced these rather grim graphs that you see in the newspapers. And, uh, you know, looking at all the other mass shooting incidents, the, the worst by far was that incident in Las, Las Vegas, Vegas yeah. um, where the guy went up into the hotel and started shooting down into, into the, the country music festival. And that was another line of the sand. And we can keep going. You mentioned Sandy Hook. You mentioned all the other times that we've had these terrible incidents. Robert Card's name will completely disappear into history. Um, the people who he killed, 18 people, they're being named this morning, amongst them a father and son, there's 13 injured. They were out bowling, they were out at a bar having a good time. An entire state was locked down for the bones of two days while they waited to find this guy who had actually taken his own life, presumably shortly afterwards. As long as you have weapons, I mean, the mental health issue is significant, but as long as you have access to any of these weapons, of which there are plenty in the United States and there are more guns per capita in America than in any other country, this is going to keep happening. And, and there is no political will 
to fix And particularly this. the unfettered access. I mean, I know people in Ireland who have guns and who hunt and you have to make sure that you have been vetted by the guard yeah. and the super has to sign off it and all of those kind of things. So it isn't this binary Second Amendment right to have a gun. It is that you might at least have the same kind of licence requirement as to drive a car. But we also, the, the type of gun that you can own in this country is incredibly limited. You can have a rifle if you're hunting, you can have a shotgun if you're True, you're not getting an AR-15. Absolutely. One final thing before I let you both go, and I hate to ask you a personal question, but at what age did you move out of the family home, Joe? Uh, 17, I left Cork, I went to Dublin, yeah. My God, 17, that's almost up the chimney age. Yeah, that's very impressive. What about you, Jonathan? That's how we left, actually. <laughs> went up the uh, I was 23, I think, when I moved to Dublin. Uh, well, I was 23. Well, the reason I ask this is because of a story about an Italian mother who, if I have this right, Joe, she had to sue to get yeah. her son out of the house. This is great. This is the most uh, this is the most Italian story you'll come across in a long time. She had a 40-year-old and a 42-year-old uh, sons, both working, uh, who both refused to leave the family home, right? Not only that, they both refused to contribute to the electricity bills, the cooking. They just expected a laundry. They just basically were treating her as a slave, a uh, housekeeper and all that. So she took them to court. And yeah, she, the judge ruled, yeah, you know, you, you, this is crazy, guys. You know, you got But the statistic, like we thought it was bad in Ireland with the housing crisis here. In the south, uh, in Italy, 71% of 18 to 34-year-olds still live at home. With their in the family home with their parents, and that's that's nuts. That's crazy. Seven out of ten, you know, and and, and there's been, there's been cases like this over and over again. My favourite one was one that um, a, a father in 2016 initially actually won, where his 28 year old graduate son refused to move out of the house and also wanted him to keep paying for his education, even though he already graduated because he wanted to go and study experimental yes. cinema, <laughs> which is well, that's money well spent. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, I'm surprised the dad yeah. didn't throw him out the window. <laughs> well, on that note, I'm going to evict the pair of you. It has been. A, a, I've been practicing this. It's 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 bambocioni is what they call it. It's big babies. Big babies. That's what they, they call them. Big babies. Yeah. Yeah. Jonathan Healy of Healy Communications and of this parish, Joe O'Shea, editor of Cork Bio. Thank you both very much. The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.